we're studying Second Corinthians, uh, an introduction. It's going to be a few weeks on this introduction. Uh, actually, by the time we get done with it, we've probably studied the whole book anyway. <laughs> Might as well move on, I tell you. But uh, I want to study a little bit farther because of what's, uh, what's involved. Second uh, Corinthians, in my opinion, more than any other of Paul's letters, uh, reveals a lot about Paul the man, what he's like. Uh, and it's, uh, it's good, of course, to know things like that. Uh, it reveals what, what we discussed last week. It reveals Paul as a, a clay pot and earthen vessel, uh, occupied by his spirit. He looked at the body like a tool. He lived in his tool like a turtle in his shell. He lived uh, in this tool as long as he was on the earth. Then he left, and he left his tool behind, his vessel, this pot. Uh, he was uh, very graphic in his description of what we are, uh, what we are like. Uh, number two, he possessed human weakness and inadequacy. He, uh, he told us uh, a lot about his personal weaknesses. You've heard a lot of people, uh, just like I have, uh, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. Well, take a look at the life of Paul. Uh, neither was he, and he wanted us to know that. He had a lot of shortcomings. Nevertheless, by divine grace, he could still be saved because God could continue to forgive him. It's an ongoing process, forgiveness. As long as we have a penitent heart, uh, the Lord continues to forgive us as we uh, sin. Third, uh, he was reluctant to defend himself when attacked. Uh, Jesus was that way also, you would know. He never defended himself. He defended the temple of God. He defended things that pertain to God. But when it comes to himself personally, he just let those things go. He, he, uh, he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't bent on defending his honor, more or less. Uh, he was concerned about the saints, Paul was, the churches. He was concerned about their spiritual growth. He was concerned about their safety. He was concerned about their salvation. This was always on his mind. It seems to be the reason he lived was to uh, take care of Christian peoples, and he spent his time doing just that. He was not like many preachers who were guilty of peddling the word of God. Uh, they, they had employment. That's what they did. That was their vocation their occupation. Uh, they preached for profit. Paul said he wasn't like those people. Uh, he was of a different stripe. Uh, rather, he asked from sincerity, asked from God. He spoke in Christ in the sight of God, always mindful of the fact that the Lord was with him whenever he spoke. And of course, he knows why he spoke. He knows what he spoke. And he was uh, very careful to make sure that uh, he glorified God rather than shamed him. He would not think of walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. Uh, he had no intention <clears throat> of compromising the divine will in order to satisfy uh, his listeners. Here's where we're supposed to begin today. 
uh, it reveals, uh, 2 Corinthians reveals the proper way to handle suffering. Uh, these are just some of the passages that discuss that matter. We want to look at chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Paul said we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The treasure he's referring to is the gospel. He made mention of that in verse 3. Uh, we have the gospel in earthen vessels. We contain, The gospel lives in us, in our hearts. Uh, Christ lives in us, in our hearts. As we ingest the gospel, we ingest Christ. He becomes a part of us. He directs us. He leads us through the word. That's the medium or the tool that he uses to dwell within us. He dwells within us. He leads us. He guides us. He directs our steps. When I start to do something, I think, well, the Lord said I'm not supposed to do that. I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. And by him speaking to me, I can refrain from sinning. Uh, we have this treasure, this gospel, in us. Uh, Paul, of course, was speaking in the first person since he was inspired of the Holy Spirit. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. It's something he possessed, not something that originated with him. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We have hope. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. The Lord is always with us, regardless of what's going on around us. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. We get back up and we keep going. Always caring about in the body of the dying Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our bodies. Notice uh, the progression here. Uh, or you can read it this way. I forgot this. Uh, I, I injected the word so, and I think it makes a little more sense to us. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, so that to the intent that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. Uh, that word that I injected doesn't hurt the, uh, the meaning of the statement. Uh, it may clarify it just a little bit. Uh, first of all, we carry the dying of the Lord Jesus. We have died to the world, and now Christ lives in us. We carry about the dying of the Lord Jesus. Why? so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest or seen in us. We've died to the world that the life of Jesus through the gospel may be manifest, seen in us, in the way we live, in the way we speak. It is Christ in us. That's what Paul said in Galatians 2 and 20. Uh, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Uh, yet not I, but uh, Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Uh, this was the life of Paul. And this is supposed to be our goal, 
that this life would be our life as well, that Christ lives in us. In oh, I just Galatians 2.20, there you go. Uh, in verse 11 says, For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal body. Once again, we can use the word so. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, so that, to the intent that, the life of Jesus also may be manifest, seen, revealed in our mortal bodies. Uh, it's a it's a rejection of uh, a rejection of the world and what the world has to offer in preference to what the Lord has to offer. Uh, the life that he chose, the life that we've chosen. So then death is working in us, but life in you. As, uh, as the apostle, he died daily, he said. It's not, a, it's not a ongoing progression. It's a different Greek word. Uh, uh, it's not I am dying daily. It is that I have died, and it's a daily affair. He died to the world. That's the actual meaning of it. The suffering that Paul went through, and he went through a lot. Um, he spoke of it often. Notice some of the places. To the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, he said, I affirm I die daily. He's dead every day because he lives to Christ. That's the meaning of the statement. To the Romans, he said in chapter 8, verse 36, For your sake... We are killed all day long, and we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. That's for the sake of the saints. The apostles died that the saints might live. Uh, it's a, it's a, a bit of a complex process. Uh, we'll probably go through it when we study uh, the verse by verse. But um, it's, it's a, their life for the saints' life. That's what it came down to. They gave up their life in order to carry the gospel throughout the world that the saints might live. Basically, that's the, the meaning of it. To the Philippians, he said in chapter 3 and verse 10, that I may know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. If we hope to experience the resurrection of Christ, then we ought to expect to experience the sufferings of Christ as well. Uh, Christ suffered, and then he was raised from the dead, and we will too suffer. We must, Paul said, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. It's a part of life, something that comes because we're Christians, and the world uh, hates Christ. And, of course, Jesus said they'll hate us, too. In Colossians <clears throat> chapter 1, verse 24, Paul said, I rejoice in my sufferings. To most people, that sounds so weird, but to us it makes sense because we understand the value of suffering towards spiritual growth. It's all part of it. And Paul can say, I rejoice. Now, when he's suffering, he's grunting just like we do. But... As far as the big picture is concerned, 
his suffering, his groaning is short term, but as far as the big picture is concerned, he knows that the, at the end of his suffering, he's going to be better off for it. Therefore, he could actually rejoice in his suffering, even though it may sound crazy uh, to most people. Uh, his sufferings for them in particular, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is, of course, the church. Uh, he rejoiced in his sufferings because of the value it held for the saints. Now, Paul's going to discuss this in 2 Corinthians, uh, his suffering that the church might gain the advantage. And, uh, of course, uh, we'll detail that when we come to it because it's very important. And then he also said to the Galatians in chapter 6 and verse 17, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus, uh, just as the Christ uh, was nailed to the cross and died. Uh, Paul, too, uh, experienced the sufferings of Christ, not being nailed to a cross, literally, but nonetheless nailed to a cross in the figurative sense. He bore in his body the sufferings that Jesus suffered. Uh, and he was happy to do it. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10, it's a little bit lengthy, but it's, uh, it's um, very educational. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> the Father of mercies, <clears throat> excuse me, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. God is the God of comfort. <clears throat> and when we experience tribulation, he gives us comfort, is what Paul's saying. He comforts us when we need comforting. Why? That, to this end, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. Uh, it, let's say I'm Paul and you are the church. Uh, during my sufferings, God comforts me to the end that I'll be prepared to comfort you in your sufferings, okay? I learn. I learn comfort. I learn the value of comfort. And what I learn through my sufferings the comfort I receive from God, I learn to pass on to you that you may be comforted in your sufferings as well. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulations that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble extended to other people's. Of course, it's going to be Christian peoples because they're the only ones that have the hope. Uh, with the comfort, he, uh, he, we comfort those with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We comfort others in the same way God comforts us. We learn and we pass it on. Being a Christian isn't just going to church, not at all. It's about becoming Christ-like and then passing it on to other people, as Christ did. What he did for us, 
we turn around and do for others. Uh, whether it's experiencing their suffering, whether it's helping them out financially in their suffering, or whether it's offering them comfort. I should say hope first. Hope and comfort that's available to them. One thing uh, you always know, uh, no matter what you're going through, uh, is number one, God is with me. And number two, a better time's coming. All I gotta do is hang in there. It's got to get better. It's got to get better. That's a promise we have from God. It'll either get better while we are in the flesh or it'll get better because we get out of the flesh. But it's got to get better. It can only last a short time. And then the suffering has to pass. If it lasts three score and ten, it's our 70 years. That's very short time, relatively speaking, in comparison to eternity. So no matter what, we have a hope that God is with us. He knows what we're going through. He'll comfort us with hope, if not providential action, that the suffering we suffer can only last a little while, that things must get better because God ordained it, and it has to be that way. <clears throat> we learn this, learn this. It's not something we know. Remember what Paul said to the Philippians? I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. It wasn't something he was born with. It's something he learned by walking, living with Christ. He learned how to be content, no matter if he was wealthy or poor. Didn't make any difference. There's a better day coming, and he could always be satisfied. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ, our comfort, consolation, comfort. Just as we suffer with Christ, so we shall also be comforted as Christ was comforted, whether in the flesh or out of the flesh. Either way, it's going to be comfort. He goes on to say, now, if we are afflicted, talking about him, the apostles, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation or comfort and salvation. God allows me, Paul says, God allows me to be afflicted in order to comfort you and assist you in obtaining salvation. My suffering is going to assist in your salvation. Well, we don't understand. 
Well, I don't know if any of us can really understand it fully, but we do understand the basic principle of what Paul's talking about. They'll feed off of Paul, what he's learned, what he knows, what he's experienced, knowing that the same thing will happen to them because they belong to Christ. <clears throat> if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, which is effect effective. What's effective? Our affliction. Our affliction is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Because we suffered, Paul saying, you're going to be able to stand your suffering. What you've learned through us, you'll be able to apply to your own life. And you'll, you'll gain value from it. Or, skip the suffering. Number one, if we are afflicted, you're going to be comforted by our affliction. Now he says, number two, if we are comforted, it is for your comfort and salvation. There's a better day coming. There is hope. And that causes people to hang in there. Hold on. Because salvation is coming. It's just a matter of when. <clears throat> and our hope for you is steadfast and movable. Because we know through experience, we know by the word of God, that as you are partakers of the sufferings that we experience, that Christ experienced, as you are partakers or sharers in the sufferings, so also you shall be partakers of the consolation or the comfort. One follows the other in Christ. There's always comfort to those who belong to Christ, to those who have enough faith. Now, let me qualify that. For a, for a young Christian, I'm speaking about being young in the sense that a person hasn't been a Christian very long. They're going to have this much faith, okay? It's not their fault. That's, that's all you can have as a, a recent convert or a yearling or whatever. You can only have so much faith because, oh my, it takes so much time to acquire faith. Uh, me, I knew absolutely zero about Christ. And when I became a Christian, it took a long time for me to have substantial faith. Because, first of all, everything was confusing to me. I didn't understand. I thought the New Testament was a revision of the Old Testament. I honestly believed that. People wanted to modernize the Old Testament, so they come up with a new one. That was my way of thinking. I had to have so much undone in my head before I could understand enough to believe, and it was very slow progress. So there's a time in which you've got this much faith, okay? Now, if you've got this much faith, it's going to be very hard to understand what Paul's talking about here. It's going to be very hard to hang on to hope because if you've got this much faith, you got this much hope. It's not much. And it's probably going to slip and slide a lot. 
Paul's talking about people who, who have more faith, uh, relatively speaking. Uh, they, they, can, they can grasp it, believe it, and hold on to it. Because the thread that connects all the dots is going to be faith in Christ. And that takes a bit of time. So if you struggle trying to understand this, don't think you are hopeless. That has nothing to do with it. It depends on how much faith you've acquired thus far in your life. Uh, you have to be patient, very patient. Uh, and if you are, it'll eventually make sense. It'll all make sense. But it does take a little bit of time. So don't become impatient and don't give up on yourself. We're talking about sophisticated matters uh, to, to believe. I, I can understand what he says, but to believe what he says, it, it takes a bit more faith. Uh, we do not want you to be ignorant, uh, ignorant without knowledge. People are so offended by the word ignorant, and I don't understand that. I'm ignorant about most things. Well, that means you're a dumbhead. Well, I wouldn't argue that. But if I say I'm ignorant about most things, I, I, I don't know much about most things. Uh, computers, they make me crazy. Uh, every time it tears up, I have to call somebody to come and fix it for me. Uh, I don't understand. I'm ignorant when it comes to a computer, how the thing operates and how to get along with it. I'm ignorant about uh, open heart surgery. I'm ignorant about most things that has to do with the human body. I don't know. Uh, and if I want to know, I got to go get a book and study about it. Uh, it's, it's, ignorant just means you don't have knowledge about the matter. And this is what Paul's saying. I don't want you to be without knowledge regarding this matter of suffering. Uh, I don't want you to be ignorant in this case of our trouble which came to us in Asia. We read about this in Acts chapter 19. You remember the account when Demetrius and the tradesmen uh, you know, assaulted the Christians because they were having an adverse effect on their trade. And this is what Paul's talking about. He had left Corinth, he had went to e uh, Ephesus, actually was where he was at uh, in Asia. He went to Ephesus and there they ran into a lot of problem uh, with the Ephesians because of uh, the tradesmen. They had stirred up a lot of stuff about Paul and company. And he said, I don't want you to be ignorant about that. I want you to understand what happened while I was in Ephesus. And he goes on to explain it. <clears throat> that we were burdened beyond measure. He didn't know how to... He didn't know how to qualify the suffering he had to go through while he was in Ephesus. The burden he had to bear was more than he could measure. It, it was above strength. He felt like he was out of strength. Uh, the, uh, the assault of the Ephesians was so intense that he was, his strength was sapped from him so that we despaired even of life. We preferred death over life. You can imagine what happened in Ephesus. The, the situation was very grim. It was very bad. Uh, the brethren there, they, they 
they were ready to die because it was certainly better than what they were living through. <clears throat> this is what that experience was like. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Death was just looming over our heads that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. There's the value of the suffering. What's that? We should not trust in ourselves to get out of this predicament. There's no way we can get out of this predicament. And this taught us to not trust ourselves, but instead to trust in God. I didn't have the ability to get myself out of this pickle, Paul said. But God did. And he got us out of that pickle. He learned. Through the experience, he learned that God did for him what he couldn't do for himself. And he doesn't want them to be ignorant. He wants them to understand this point, that God can do for you or me what we can't do for ourselves. They'll come to our rescue. Uh, God who delivered us from so great a death does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. He speaks of this in all three tenses. Notice, God delivered us, past tense. God has delivered us in the past. Then he talks about the present tense. He does deliver us still. And we trust he will deliver us in the future tense. Past, present, and future. Paul learned through experience, and of course the written revelation, Paul learned that God protects his people, that God is with his people. And that we don't suffer anything without God knowing what we're going through. Now it could be that this particular suffering might be the end of our life as we know it. Well, that's, that's good because then you go, you go to be with God. Or it could be that God will enable us to prevail through this suffering. Only God knows. I can't help myself. I trust that God will do what's good. His way is always the best way. Much of Paul's suffering came from false apostles. And this is basically the way it still is today. Uh, much of the world is perishing because there are many people claiming to proclaim the gospel of Christ, but they're proclaiming a false gospel. These Paul refers to as false apostles. They preach something that isn't true. They preach salvation by faith only, for example. Most of the Protestant denominational world today subscribe to the notion that people are saved by faith only. Think about that. You and I know what the Bible teaches. We are saved by faith, repentance, confession, uh, and baptism. That's what the Bible teaches. But most preachers today say, no, only faith is all it takes. If you believe, you'll be saved. Think of the numbers of people who have believed what they have been told. And they're not prepared to meet their maker. 
This was Paul's grief. This is our grief. Because we have to deal with the same thing. And it's beyond pitiful. And mostly we're resented because we proclaim the truth. That's what Paul went through. It's the same thing. Most of his suffering came because of the false apostles. Let's hear him. What I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are, the apostles, in the things of which they boast. They claim to be equal to us. These are false apostles, deceitful workers. They transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. They make themselves appear as though they are the apostles of Christ. But they teach a foreign gospel, a strange gospel, or as Paul would say, another gospel, which is no gospel at all. Jesus said, the world cannot hate you. It's me it hates because I testify of it that its works are evil. When you open your mouth, and you teach the truth, the world will hate you. Why? Because most of the world opposes the teaching of Christ. When it came out of his mouth, they opposed it, and they murdered him. Do you think it would be any less than that for us? Jesus said we'll be partakers of his suffering if we are partakers of his life. If you love the world, the Lord said, well, the world would love its own. We love those who are similar to ourselves. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, and therefore the world hates you. Most people are of the world. They march to the beat of the world drummer. That's what they know. And that's what they like. That's what they're comfortable with. And when you teach something that's different than what people have been taught, they're naturally going to resist what you have to say and hate you in the process. If you ever taught it, you'll know it already. One major theme is Paul's suffering in defense of his apostleship. Notice the number of passages just in 2 Corinthians that Paul deals with his suffering and defending his apostleship that he is indeed an apostle. There were certain men at Corinth who claimed to be apostles, and they said that Paul wasn't really an apostle, and they'll give a list of reasons why that's true. And he wasn't an apostle. He taught something that was false, and we're going to teach you the truth. And they teaching the Corinthians something that was very different. <clears throat> Our boasting is this, Paul said, 2 Corinthians 1, 12, and 13. The testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity. We spoke in a way that you could understand us, and we kept things at the simplest denominator. Not with fleshly wisdom. Now, Paul was a highly educated man. He could have used those great big long words had he chosen to. 
but he chose not to. He spoke, he spoke Koine Greek. He was speaking street Greek to street people, the common man, and he made sure that they could understand what he was saying. The real apostles, as they referred to themselves, tried to impress people with their degrees, their education, their vast knowledge. Well, that wasn't the way Paul taught, and you people remember me. That's not the way I taught. We are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. The gospel we teach now is the gospel we taught when we were there. I trust you will understand, even to the end, I have become a fool in boasting. This is something Paul tried not to do, but on this occasion, he had to do it. He had no way to get around it. You have compelled me. You backed me into a corner. I ought to have been commended by you. This, I think, is what broke his heart. I ought to have been commended by you. He had been there in Corinth with these people for a period. They knew him. They'd seen him. They knew what he was able to do. And they heard the gospel that he preached. And false apostles came in. And they tried to discredit Paul. And what did the saints say in defense of Paul? Not one word. After all he had done, when these people started putting him down, no one stood in defense of Paul. Hey, I know Paul. And I know he's a good guy. I know he's an honest man. I know he was an apostle. How can you come here and say he's not an apostle? You're going to raise my hackles when you start picking on one of my brethren falsely accusing him of something. But at Corinth, not one person spoke in his defense. He said, I should have been commended by you. It had to have broken his heart. He gave himself to those folks. He literally poured himself out for their salvation. And now when they had an opportunity to stand up for him, they didn't do it. And he had to be so sad. So sad. I ought to have been commended. Why? For in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Peter's got nothing on me, he's saying. I've got what Peter's got. I've got what John's got. I've got what all the apostles got. I, now, I'm not anything because I've got it. I'm just trying to explain to you that I am an apostle. Truly, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you Corinthians with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. If we saw someone replace a severed arm, we would probably freak out. If we went to the cemetery and someone was raised from the dead, we'd probably run because things like that are never seen. 
Paul said, you saw the signs of an apostle when I was there. What is the signs of an apostle? The apostle, there were nine signs, and the apostles had all nine of those signs. They were the only ones that did. Other people might have one, maybe two of the signs, but they didn't possess all nine signs. Only the apostles did. And this way, they could identify themselves as an apostle. You Corinthians, you've seen me. You know. I performed the signs of an apostle. You witnessed it. Why didn't you defend me? Instead of standing by silently while they butchered my name. Oh, it broke his heart. Broke the man's heart. It breaks my heart just reading about it. I got to stop.